What's up, everybody? Welcome to this monumental 200th episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I can't believe it is 200 episodes already. And with me for the last 100 plus is Daniel Terry. How are you doing uh, So on this milestone evening? I am elated, man. It's uh, it's very exciting that we're here at 200 episodes. I, I This is my first 200th episode, so... It's uh, it's wild. This, this whole like leading up to this 200th episode has been really crazy because like we had a couple episodes that we were like really excited for, and like we thought the Howard Jones one was going to be episode 200, and you know we we kind of hit some snags, and, and thankfully to you, uh, you were able to come through and save that episode with your side of the recorded audio, because uh, otherwise like my side like fucked up a couple times and so on and so forth. We already touched on all that, but we really thought that that was going to be episode 200, and it was a great episode. And holy shit, did it go viral? Um, but it is one of those things like, you know, 200, you want something special. And it doesn't take away from any of the other guests we've had on. It doesn't take away from the people we're going to have on. But, you know, I think like we needed to have a big guest, have a really good long form interview, like, you know, like we used to on Johnson's Title Podcast. I couldn't think of, like, as soon as I got done doing this, this chat with Chris Dudley of Under Oath, I was like, that's it. That's episode 200 right there. Yeah, totally. I was really excited to hear about it. Uh, unfortunately, it was a in-person interview, so I didn't get to. Uh, they're out on tour now, so it's kind of hard for those guys to just pick up a cell phone and call us. Well, on top of that, I was going to try to do the Skype thing, but it was at a weird time where you were just in the midst of installing all the garage doors in the world. All of them, yes. Yeah, so, like, Chris, I mean, Chris Dudley from Underworld, like, I have been wanting to get him on basically since the Rebirth tour, uh, it may not be the person from Under Oath you would necessarily think of when you think of interviews, but I think he's got a great personality about him. I think he answers questions very in depth, uh, and he seems very and he seemed before I interviewed him uh, seemed very easy to talk to. I think one of the things in listening back to edit the conversation that I thought was really funny is no one told me how long I had, so sometimes that's either a good thing or a bad thing. So at about you know twenty five thirty minutes, I was like, all right, well I'm winding down because you know I know you got shit to do, and he was just like, nope, I got nothing. He's like, yeah, let's let's go, let's go bowling. And I feel like the crazy thing is like, and I, you know, I know you've probably done this too with some of the longer form things that you've gotten to do with some of, you know, with Scott and everybody else that you've gotten to talk to for like an hour is really that, that 25, 30 minute mark is really where you kind of hit a nice stride and like, okay, we're, we're comfortable with each other. We're kind of, you know, having some fun tangents. We're kind of going down some interesting roads and it kind of reminded me like I do think I've gotten a lot better at the, the 20 to 25 minute interview but I do think that there's something magical when you organically happen to have an hour-long conversation yeah I think it can be I, and I've noticed myself doing it even on my other podcasts sometimes like once you hit the 25 30 minute mark something in my brain starts saying like okay we're done <laughs> you know but it, it's you know it's kind of funny I did uh I did an episode recently with Jason Sherlock uh, from Revulsed and him and I talked for how for I felt like forever like we talked for an hour or so and then we 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 wrapped up he's like oh I, he's like I could have kept going <laughs> like, <laughs> all night and I was like oh yeah you know you're probably right you know but at the same time it was just kind of like yeah it's pushing an hour though and I'm I'm always thinking about what the listener maybe even even whenever I'm fully engaged in a conversation and I'm sure you've noticed this too John we're like you'll have a great conversation that's like an hour long and then, you know, you're like thinking, well, how's the listener going to feel about it? Like, it's one thing to be there and be engaged. Yeah. It's another thing when you're not an active participant, you know, and, and you're listening to it. So, yeah, once you get to an hour, 
you usually that means that you're probably really well engaged and that you're having an organic conversation versus just reading a list of questions. Cause I mean, shoot, we, we've, we've gone through like 20 questions in 15 minutes before. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. I think the other thing too, and you know, like I, I can't stress this enough and I don't think people realize this if you've never done a podcast is not realizing I mean, over on Discography Discussion, I, I would say more or less you got this from Roach Coach, where pe- you talk about being conscious of people's time. Yes. And, you know, I I think, you know, I 100%, I think you and I can both agree, doing that interview with Blasco, where he was like, yeah, I'm trying to get in, get out, hour total, all said and done, that's a sweet spot. Because, like, people sometimes don't even have an hour. Dude, I wrote it down. And I mean, like, I, I really have adhered to that, like, where it's like, if we go over an hour, it might be like an hour and two, hour and five minutes. Like, I really try to trim the fat where I can. And a lot of times it's in our intros because we talk exponentially longer than which ends up on the episodes. But it's uh, it's a thing where I also think that sometimes you need to let some of these episodes and let some of these longer form interviews breathe and, and be the way they are because – to cut them short is almost a disservice of both of your times or all of our time. I should say, if you're, if you're involved in the interview as well. And there's one that we've actually been sitting on for fuck. I think at this point, four and a half, five months. And it's the yeah. one, it's the one I did with Matt Fozzie of X taking back Sunday because exactly what I had just said happened where we talked, everything was fine. I went to wrap up the episode at a nice like hour, hour and five. And then I like he threw a question to me that basically is like you know the crux of our EP full length question, and this is like really when I had really started getting into that question, and I know we probably have beaten that question to death, but I think what's interesting is how diverse the answers are for that question specifically, and that led him and I on another forty five fifty minute tangent. So part of me is like and still has been thinking, and I haven't gone back to listen to it since because I'm just so afraid that like I'm. I want to put it all out, but I don't know if people really want to hear two people talk about the industry when one of us isn't even fucking in it and never has been. <laughs> and it's 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 wild, and it, and it's it's something that you I don't think you really think about if you're not on this side of things where you start thinking like, okay, like how much time am I willing? How much time is someone willing to invest into what I have to say when I don't have the guest, or even when I do? And then people are like, oh, that fucking host just talks too much. Yeah, but I mean, those aren't the people that are listening to the show anyway. You know, like really, um, like they're hearing one episode, but they're not, you know, a weekly listener. I, I think the people that listen every week and and really get engaged in what we do, they're they're here, they're here to hear good conversations. I, I think we've established that over two hundred episodes. I think so too. That we're that we're gonna have a good chat. It's it's not it's not just gonna be when's your album coming out? You know, what was it like working with X producer? What's a crazy tour story, you know? And yeah, like we will ask those kind of questions sometimes, but like, I don't know. I would just like to think that we do it in a, in a much more conversational manner. Cause like, I always tell people, they're like, oh, you, so you interview people on podcasts. I said, oh, I talk to people on podcasts. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a huge difference because an interview just sounds so formal and so impersonal. And the, the point of a good conversation is that you both come away knowing something about each other. And see, that's something very early on. And I think I said this plenty of other times that's been hard for me is I took people's comments to heart where people were like, oh, this kid talks too much about himself or whatever. And I'm always of the mind that because I'm not a Jamie Josta, I'm not a, I'm not even a Joshua Toomey. I've never done anything that anyone would ever know. So at that point, 
what I want to relay is that between friends I have that tour, which I know that sounds really fucking braggy and like name droppy at times. Actually, I don't ever drop names. I just say like I have friends who tour. Um, but it's one of those things like I've had friends in bands that are of varying levels of success and sizes and so forth, whether they be brand new, established acts, so on and so forth. And the thing that is interesting to me is in my conversations with them, not on record or anything, they always kind of tell me that, you know, I get it, like that you get it. You you seem to understand things when people talk about things. And, and it's just because I listen to a lot of podcasts. I le- read a lot of interviews and I, I loved watching documentaries on bands and just learning. And you can't have... I don't think anyway. I mean, I'm sure, Dan, you can do the same thing with, like, the dudes and Zayo, the, like, just so many people, like, you know personally that also have stories that they tell you. And it's like, you may not be able to apply them to anything that you ever did, but you understand, like, the same, like, when you keep hearing the same stories from other people, it's like, okay, there's a trend. Like, touring sucks, and it's yeah. hard, and it's hard to be away from your family, and it's fucking stressful. And like, there's all these caveats that come along with it. And my point when I say these things isn't to sit there and be like, oh, I'm fucking cool because I know all these people. It's like, no, it's it's because I want the person to understand that I'm talking to, to understand that when I ask this question, I, I know where they are or I think where they are based on all these other people that I know that go through these same things. And I really do feel like that allows them to open up a little bit more. Yeah, like. And, and I, I think the whole the host talks too much. That's something that I struggled with very early on, especially on my other podcast, because I just back then I had never really done an interview with anyone. Right. And so all I knew how to do was talk, you know, and yeah, like somebody would say something and it was always like the atmosphere that I was always trying to create was dudes at a bar talking about music. Yeah. And so even if the person that I'm talking to happens to be the guitar player of my favorite band he's gonna say something and then i'm gonna be like oh that reminds me of this thing you know and then he'll say something back and then you know he'll say oh well that reminds me of this and i don't know what it is it's just that like i feel like as a listener of podcasts that's what i crave when i listen to like i I crave to see the person behind the music in, in in not like in a cheesy sense but like like, what are they like? What are their mannerisms like? And, you know, maybe that's super creepy to want to know about your favorite musicians, but um, I, I don't know. I, I think that that's kind of what we have strived to do here. And I, I wish, honestly, I, some of those 15-minute interviews I wish had been an hour, and some some that have been an hour I wish had been 15 minutes, you know, depending on who it is. Yeah, I think that's been an interesting thing, and, and I think that's something that's interesting, too, is just seeing the growth, I think, from... And this isn't putting down anyone we had on the first hundred or, you know, leading up to this hundred. But I mean, like, to me, it's wild to see the growth just looking at the guests over the last hundred episodes since Shea Hawk to see the growth of the guests that we're consistently getting. And it's like the proof is in the pudding. Like you can see the growth of the podcast. And what's even funnier is we have had some of those guests from the first couple episodes back on recently. Like we were dropping an episode with uh, Andrew from Serpents. He was like episode 68. I did an interview the other day as a woman recording this with Frank from The World We Knew. He was episode two. Like we're getting people on that have – been at the very very beginning of this thing and 
it's like I said, this this whole week, week and a half leading up to this, just thinking about episode 200, doing some of these other interviews with people that were on at the beginning of the fucking podcast. I remember texting Shay the other day and I was like, yo, like we're dropping episode 200. We've done 100 episodes since you and I did our conversation. And he was just like, dude, holy shit, the congratulations, man. Like keep, you know, moving forward and onward and, and progressing and, and perfecting your craft and all that kind of stuff. And it's just wild to to see like how far this thing has come and it makes me wonder like how far we're going to take it when we talk about 300 episodes yeah man <laughs> i can't even imagine that <laughs> i mean we've already got probably the first like almost 10 of the 200s uh already done so we got 90 more to that's go man that's true yeah yeah absolutely um i'm 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 excited i'm excited for people to hear this chat too because it is a really good chat and like you said chris dudley might not be the first person that pops into your head when you think under oath he is mine, though. I mean, shoot, I've been listening to Under Oath since, since Chris Dudley was the new guy in the band. You know, since they had Dallas like their, in the band? Yeah, since their second album, uh, Cries of the Past. And uh, that thing is just... Uh, have you ever heard Cries of the Past, John? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Totally different band. Exactly. They were more of like, like a totally death different. metal band at, kind, at times. Basically, basically, yeah, they were. A Christian undeath band, I think, is what you would actually call it. No, that's not what you'd call it. Okay. I'll kill you. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, I got a knife. I'm coming. Okay. Uh, come over here so I can stab you. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it was definitely uh, – I, I always loved what he brought to Under Oath um, because their first album, Act of Depression, is really not that good. Like, it's it's okay. It's heavy. It's, it's, uh, it's almost death metal or whatever. But whenever he came in on the keyboards, he added so much to them. And then as they changed, like when they transitioned out of that into the chasing safety sound, he still played a major part, a major role, and uh, just added added so many great electronics and everything to the band. Like I feel like I, I just I feel like his involvement in how their sound has shifted over the years is is very understated. Absolutely. And speaking of understated, let's go ahead and get into my conversation with Chris Dudley of Underoath, and we'll talk to you all afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, yeah. So, uh, oh wow, an Xbox 360. Uh, no, that's just an Xbox. Actually. Oh, okay. So that's uh, that's right. oh, old, old school Xbox. How did it not? Were Red Rings a thing back then? I'm trying um, to I know. I think the Red Ring started with the 360. 360. Yeah, our our bass player went and bought this. He bought two of them before we left for this tour because uh, they really like playing Halo One, um, and they wanted to play it on the actual Xbox. So he went to this like. It's funny because it's, now it's at like a vintage video game store yes. and got two uh, two of these and they're linked up. There's a cable that runs through the bus and uh, they're linked up so they can have <laughs> So Halo they don't have one. to share the TV. They can split it between the two? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So there'll be two teams. And what's nice is these two TVs are mirrored. So you have four guys back here, and but they don't all have to share one TV. So It's like old, old school GoldenEye. Only people who are old and remember how yes. much of a pain in the ass it was to have to share a, between yes. four people. Exactly. Oh, it was the worst. <laughs> yeah. um, but all that aside, retro gaming aside, uh, we are sitting here with Chris from Under Oath, who are here in Detroit on the Alice in Chains Corn Tour, which, uh, holy shit. Yes. This is like the... 
I mean, let's let's just unwrap this for a second. Mm-hmm. How giddy were all of you when you got the the offer, or at least the you know approval of the offer you probably submitted for the tour? So when, like normally, when it comes down to tours that were submitted for and uh, tours that we've been offered, and there's talks going back and forth between agents, like. I normally completely stay out of any of that. Like I just, I'll, I tell our agent, like, you know, when there's a concrete thing, just let it, let me know, let us know. But you know, if, if it's just talks like whatever, but we saw our agent on our last tour and he had kind of mentioned that we were in the running for this. And I was legitimately like more excited about, the, the possibility of this tour than any tour that we've ever done and I was texting our agent probably like once a week being like hey like how's it going like and then uh, I'll, yeah I'll never forget I uh, uh, woke up one morning and got a text from our uh, agent saying that we were we got offered the tour and um, had like a couple deal points in the text but basically it was just like oh yeah that's what we wanted and they want us on the tour and that's it and i was just like what like and it's funny because i had texted uh because we we we'd also heard that uh the fever was going to be opening up half the tour um so uh i texted uh stevis from the fever and i I just texted him yo because i knew they had got an offer as well and he just was just sending like gifts back and forth just like oh my gosh like it's uh it's it's honestly so sick like um this is this will, I think, go down as like one of my favorite tours. I mean, I've been, we've been, I've been touring for in this band for almost twenty years, and this, this will be, probably, maybe the best tour that we've ever done. It's been really, really cool. Contrary to what a lot of people may think, sometimes tours of this size, you may not see the people you're touring with. Mm-hmm. That being said, if you have gotten to see any of the people, because I feel like both of the bands now are of the age that the, you know, just we we bring out who we want to, and there's mm-hmm. a reason that they're there. Yeah. And it seemed, by all accounts, it seems like everyone's pretty friendly that, mm-hmm. you know, have toured with these guys. And so I kind of wanted to know, like, in the time that you've been with them, have you have you gotten to hang out with any of the guys? M- almost everybody. Um, yeah, like, the all of the guys hang pretty hard, which is awesome. Like, um, there's only, like, one or two guys on the tour that are in bands that don't really hang as much. But even those guys are super nice and really cool it's just that i think with any band like we've you know you'll find this as you tour over the years like every band has like those guys in the band that just hang all the time they're always like out doing something you have other guys that are they more just like keep to themselves and do their own thing um we have yet to find a dude on this tour that is like not really nice like i think what's cool i was saying the other day is um you know we're all you know mid late 30s dads and you know corns you know in their you know whatever mid late 40s and you know allison chains are like in their you know early mid 50s and it's like everyone on the tour is like um it's it's like dads and and just men hanging out and playing music it's there's no like like uh sex drugs rock and roll like insane ego stuff like it's literally like corn's got a bunch of their kids out on tour and um yeah it's it's more of just like a a 
family vibe, if that right. makes sense. Like it's 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 awesome because like you know we're all here, we're all doing what we love to do, and like everybody's getting out on stage and killing it like every night. But it's you know backstage and as everybody's hanging out, it's very chill, very just like hey, how's your day going? Like oh we went went golfing on the day off, like whatever. And um, it's I'm I'm super pumped. Like it's yeah, it's awesome. Have you been able to gleam any advice from any of these guys that have been doing this longer than you guys have? Oh, I was funny. I was talking to Jerry from Allison Chains the other day about because he just had back surgery, and uh, I was telling him about it's like such like old man stuff. But I was telling him about <laughs> some problems that I have with my neck, and he was like recommending me. He's like, oh, you know, you should go see my guy. Like he worked on my because he was just saying after years of just like doing what he does, he was like my back was just was just toast and. They had to like do all this stuff to it. He's like, oh, he could he could hook you up for sure. You know, you know, go go talk to my guy. So, you know, that's that was just like a a dumb thing. But, um, you know, overall, like I think just seeing where these bands are now after you know all the years that they've been touring and doing what they're doing, like it's just more. Uh, it it's encouraging, you know, to see like guys you know men dads in bands playing music that they want to play in front of people and still killing it after you know doing it for you know 20 30 years and it's uh it's really really cool like it's you know it's it's awesome does doing something to this level make you realize that how you feel getting on this tour is how a lot of bands that you take out feel when they get accepted to do your tours um i i mean have you realized that you're at that level now and you've been around that long? Uh, I mean, I guess I don't, if we have, I don't feel like we have, um, you know, like, like, you know, the fact that like I'm coming up on 20 years in being in this band is, is it, it, it is a number, but still like I, f- I think about like, oh, well, well, when I started playing in Under Oath, I was in high school. So it's like, I don't feel like that, you know, I don't feel like I'm like this, like, older wiser gentleman i mean i'm 36 you know i'm not like super old or anything but um you know i think that if 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 there is a band or bands that we have toured with that look at us the way that we look at these bands like that's crazy not in a bad way it's like it would be like super you know flattering you know if if there are bands that look at us like that um but uh, I, I don't think you can ever see your band in that way. Like, I mean, I think you can have some sort of a knowledge that, like, oh, you know, I know that we had a a good impact on this band or that band. But, like, like you know, when I look at the bands where I'm just like, oh, they're they're perfect. Like, they're, they're just, like, one of the best bands of all time, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I don't think even the bands that I would say that about, I don't know if they would look say that same thing about them. You know, I think right. specifically with being on tour with these bands you know just talking to them like they don't view themselves in that way like i was i was talking to mike from alice in chains and you know just you know talking about touring talking about you know when we got started he was talking about when they got started and like even though they are where they are and they are who they are uh to hear him talk about it they're just like another touring rock band and it's like yeah but you're not you know <laughs> like you're not at all and you know yeah it's 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 weird like i think that it's a it's a perception versus reality thing right. um and also just a personal 
thing. You know, I don't think it, it's kind of like listening to your own band's music. Like you'll you'll never be able to objectively listen to it. Yeah, you never can. You know, and that and you'll also never be able to objectively view what your band is from an, another perspective because you're constantly in it. You know, absolutely. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit. You know, when this band went on the hiatus that they did, you know, a lot. Seemingly to me, a lot was made from people finding out that you had a very big boy job. Yeah, um, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those things, you know, as, you know, I'm going to be 35 in like a month, mm-hmm. not even. Um, so it's one of those things, like, I very much feel like not trying to parallel my life to others, but it's like when you look at someone else and you're like, oh, you know, they, I guess the, the easiest way to, to say it is, you know, I look at a lot of bands and I think of you know, when the, when their time is up and they have to go get a real job, you know, I realize that there are a lot of things in this industry that you can do and parlay it into real world things, Mm -hmm. uh, that a lot of people don't realize there are applicable things there. Mm -hmm. So when you went and took this government job and they did that for a couple of years, you know, I'm sure there was like a little bit of like, Oh wow, this is going to be new and different and Mm -hmm. exciting from the life that you had. But I wonder adversely when the band decided to get back together and do the touring and be a band, how hard was it to, to give up that security of having a normal real job? That was a that was a real thing. Like, um, you know, for like I loved that job that I had because I worked from home and I hung out with my kids all day and it was basically the opposite of what I had been doing, you know, where like at that time we were touring all the time. Um, I was gone all the time. So for me it was like heaven because i'm like oh like i get to like hang out and work on my computer and just have the door to my office open and my kids are running in and out all day and i'm eating breakfast lunch and dinner at home and there for everything so it was like awesome um but you know there was still a part of me that wanted to be creative and wanted to play music and you know i I didn't realize it, but I did want to play music with these guys. And, um, there, there was a, you know, there were quite a few conversations, you know, between me and my wife, uh, you know, when there were, when there was talk, cause we, we were not like, I, I guess technically it was a hiatus because we ended up getting back together. But like, as far as we were concerned, we were broken up. Like right. I, I sold all my equipment, like <laughs> everybody went and did other things. Um, we were like, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do this again. Like that's, that's it. Um, you know, but then a few years went by, and obviously that changed. But um, there was a, you know, it's definitely, it was odd having that security because that was a thing that I'd never had before. But even in that, it's like, you know, I was working at a company and I was getting a paycheck every week, but I was still like, even within the company, hearing rumblings of like, oh, did you hear that like the contract might not get be might not get renewed, and did you hear that? you know, the company might get bought by so-and-so, and if they do, who knows what that's going to mean. So it's like, it was security with air quotes, because it's like, even like, I now know since I've left that job that stuff is completely changed, because I, I, I have friends that are still at that company, and they're like, oh, dude, it's like completely different now, so-and-so got fired, and all this stuff. So it's like, how secure are you ever really in what it is that you're doing? Like, there's always something that can happen. You know, there's a, it's, as far as work is concerned, you know, there's always something that could be out of your control that would happen or in life it's like you know you you just always assume that you're gonna 
wake up tomorrow and you're going to be healthy and you're going to be able to go do what you want to do. But it's like, that's not, that's not always the case. Um, and we had a talk and, you know, it's, it's a, a longer story, but basically we said, you know, we, we, we do want to play again. We do want to be a band again, but if we're going to do that, we need to change the way that we're doing it so that being an under oath is as advantageous for like late thirties guys and dads to be an under oath as it was when we were 19 and being an under oath. And, you know, that came with an agreement to tour less, um, which in turn makes it more fun because we're actually enjoying it when we're out here and we're not like, we don't feel like we're like grinding and we're not being forced to do it. Um, and also just, you know, recognizing that we're, we're not, you know, 19 anymore and being, uh, being okay with, uh, our relationships as they are um and you know just accepting each other for who we are and not expecting one another to be a certain type of person you know so yeah i think some of that just comes with naturally getting older like mm-hmm. i mean the, the fun thing about at least facebook at least now is you know going through your time hop yeah and seeing things you posted things that you know, you consistently complain about or things that have changed or whatever. And so it's interesting to kind of get that look back where you're like, wow, 10 year old me didn't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> Not as much as I thought I did. Yes. Or 10 exactly. year old me was actually really smart and I should have listened to myself there and I didn't. Yes. Um, but, you know, kind of all of that aside, something I kind of had wondered, you know, because I got to see you guys on that, I think you were calling it the Rebirth Tour, mm-hmm. like the uh, reunion tour where yeah. you played those two records. And it was really interesting because I, I was reviewing the show in Grand Rapids at the Orbit Room, one of the last actually I saw there before they kind of went under or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it was very interesting. It was my first time having to use a photo pass and taking photos because the photographer we were supposed to have didn't show up. So I did shoot it with my phone, which is a big no-no, I know. But uh, it was very interesting. It was my first time being in the middle of a band and a crowd mm-hmm. and being able to see the exchanging of energy, the volleying of energy between mm-hmm. the two of you. And seeing what you see coming at you and then turning around and kind of looking at you all kind of going through your your own things and it was actually pretty much right underneath your keyboard the whole time and it kind of makes me wonder experiencing that whole tour that whole run and now you know having erase me out and and doing these kind of bigger look tours and so forth outside of the obvious answer of just you know it, we're different and all that kind of stuff what has being able to come back and play for fans that have been with you for so long what has been different about it this time? Um, I think the big thing for me that's been different is my uh, not my level of gratitude, but the de- uh, the type of gratitude that I have. I think now, you know, I, I've always been like super thankful to be able to do what it is that we do, but toward the end of us being a band, you know, back before we broke up, um, you know, I viewed the travel that we were doing as uh, a chore and, um, you know, because I had been doing nothing but traveling since I was, the day I graduated high school, I had been on the road and I just wasn't, I didn't enjoy the travel. I still enjoyed playing shows, but there was so much of the other parts of being in a band that I just didn't really enjoy. I didn't really enjoy being in the studio because every time we went into the studio like I felt like I was being forced to write and because 
it wasn't a creative outlet as opposed to it, it needing to be a forced creative yeah outlet. it was like okay well we have to have a record out by this month so we need to start writing now and you know like when we broke up i i didn't touch a instrument for probably a year and a half like oh, wow. i didn't write a thing um because i had never had that option to not do it so um yeah so that i i think just my viewpoint has changed on um you know just how thankful i am that i can do this at all um and you know i think that our our relationships individually have have changed uh for the better you know like we're we're all you know a bit older now and you know we, we love each other and we are more in a spot now where we are accepting each other for who we are and not who we want each other to be you know right. and again that comes with like uh, getting older and whatnot but it's it's also interesting to think about what hasn't changed you know it's like when we get out on stage and when we you know you know you're talking about that energy that goes back and forth like that is the same as it ever was which i think is is I, mean, I don't know if that's weird but you know it's it's cool you know and you know the, the energy is different show by show and tour by tour but um you know it's it, that still seems exactly the way it was when i was you know you know 18 19 years old so it's like uh yeah i don't know it's weird it's uh kind of speaking to that something that i've talked to i mean being in my mid-30s as well and thinking about a lot of the bands that came out when I was younger and a lot of them still being around, a lot of them share your same story of being just out of high school or even still being in high school when the band formed. And then, you know, now we, here we are, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later. And the thing that I've kind of thought about quite a bit in just thinking back to my own youth is, you know, I, I thought I knew a lot and I didn't. And, you know, your parents become suddenly sages uh, as you get older. You're like... They were right. Yeah. Uh, should have. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they lived this life before us or whatever. But it's uh, one of those things where, in thinking about that, I've been thinking about a lot of my friends that have toured and being in successful bands and so forth, and placing. And I don't know if I just made this word up the other day. Commodity, commoditizing. Com a commodity of. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. A uh, uh, basically. You started this thing because you were passionate about it, making music with your friends. Now it becomes a commodity that needs to sell, needs to be profitable for a company, needs to do all these things that take away all the fun and joy tentatively out of what you're doing. But thinking about what that does to you as a person who's growing up and learning how to be who you are in all of that, have you ever thought about how maybe that process of being in a very unnatural set of circumstances has affected you in your development as a person? Yeah, I think um, I think in general, becoming an adult doing this is a just a such an odd uh, an odd way to grow up, you know. Because like I was sixteen when I started playing in the band, and you know, basically everything that I've experienced, I've experienced with these guys, and um, it it can be a a bad thing if you don't have the right people around you it's like what what i've seen happen is you know you're you're doing this and you're going on tour you're playing these shows and you're 
doing interviews all the time and people are, you know, or you're talking to people after shows and like, you're awesome. Your music's great. Like you, I love you guys, blah, blah, blah. And like, that's like a constant thing that's being said to you. And after years and years of like everybody you run into talking about how awesome you are, you know, it, I could see how it is that people turn out to be those like douches that are like, um, yeah, dude, like, you know, we're, we're great. Like, I'm awesome. Like I'm, you know, having that like big head because it's like, that's all really all that, you know, because all these people you're running into every day do do nothing but talk about how much they like you or what it is that you're doing. Um, so I think, you know, I, and I think we, you know, have always had to consciously like take a step back from that and say like, well, I'm not, you know, all these people think this one thing about me and my friends, but that's not who we are. And we know that that's not who we are. Like I know all the bad stuff about these guys. They know all the bad stuff about me. And we, we know that, you know, no matter what nice things people say, we know that that's not actually who we are. Um, so I think that that's a, that's an odd thing that I think most people don't, don't deal with. Um, but then also you think about, um, you know, you were saying that, you know, you start this thing as a, as a passion and then it turns into a, a career and a, and a business and all that. Um, and that, that's a, that's a whole other thing. I think like we, you know, I think thankfully we have always had the mindset of like, we're going to do musically and live we're going to do what it is that we want to do and if people like it that's awesome and if they don't you know we're the ones that have to get up and play the songs every night so we're going to have fun no matter what and i don't think it happens very often but like we were we have been able to be successful in both of those things like we've been successful in writing the music that we want um and also it being successful enough to where we're able to have a career out of it. Um, but one thing that we did realize, like toward the end of us being a band before we broke up, was that there was so much other stuff going on that we were not enjoying. You know, we were not wanting to be involved in so many aspects of our quote unquote business. You know, like we didn't, we, we wanted, to, we want to write music, play music, and record music and that's that's where our strong suits are so when we came back uh when we came back together like that was a conscious effort we said we're going to build a team of people who we trust and we know are good at their jobs we're going to pay them well to do all this stuff so that we we don't have to do it and we you know it was like a conscious decision with our team we're like look you guys take care of all this stuff the t-shirt designs the finding video directors uh working out tour routings like all the stuff that we were like constantly in we were like that's gonna be you guys and we're going to write music we're gonna play music and we're gonna record music anything else we don't want to be involved in and we're also going to tour less and um that has been a thing we've realized now that i think that's going to be the key to us being able to do this like for the long run because we're when we're out here we're enjoying it and we we're not being bombarded with all this stuff that we that is for us secondary you know we're able to focus on writing and 
just having a good time playing live and yeah uh kind of slowly and wrapping up because i don't know how much i was supposed to get with you but um oh i've, I've got i've got nothing to do today so okay yeah um, well, as i say i have like two questions so <laughs> no hit me. um you know you you finally released uh the information about the the film you were scoring uh oh yeah yeah i mean you've been talking about it quite a bit and so it, it feels you know good finally to see that you you were able to announce it um i i think people don't realize how long it takes to to make a movie put out a movie yeah. all that kind of stuff the ins and outs of that industry as well but you know you just announced you scoring it um so i kind of wanted to know what was the process like of doing that for you since this is your first time doing it well, it actually wasn't my first time. I've done... Oh, you um, did the documentary. Well, I, I did a documentary. Um, I did a short before that. And then um, I've done three other shorts as well, like some, some commercial work. But um, that was the first thing that I've done, uh, the first feature that was just me from front to back. Like the documentary that I did before, I was I was... I basically split the film with another composer in LA. Like we, we had talked and thankfully the film was split up into actual chapters. So we were just like, Hey, like I'll take these, this half and you take that half and we'll, you know, we'll have a couple things that we work on together. But, um, this film in particular, uh, a was the most daunting musical task I've ever tackled ever like um you know because the movie is i think the final cuts around like 145 or 150 um like an hour 45 hour 50 um so I, gosh i think there's you know an hour and 10 minutes of music something like that so um it was just extremely daunting um but i had uh it's funny how it came about because i was um at, at the gym and I was on a treadmill and I would just sometimes to kill time, I'll go on Instagram and I'll say like, Hey, just ask me a question or whatever, just to get my mind off of this physical hell. Um, and I had this guy hit me up and he said, Hey, I, uh, I've got this uh, short film that I did. I'd love for you to take a look at it. I know you like film. And I, uh, I, I watched it on the treadmill and I literally like hit him up right then. I was like, this is awesome. And what are you doing next? Like, I would love to be involved in it somehow. Cause the, 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 the short that he showed me was great. And from that point on, like, he was like, I would love for you to score it. Um, he sent me the script and we worked together for yeah months. Um, you know, I had written some stuff prior to them shooting and a, a couple of the, of those pieces ended up making the film and they were actually um, on set with those pieces playing like to kind of like get the get the vibe um and then it was yeah it was it was a months long process um lots of uh going to bed at night just like staring at the ceiling like thinking that i don't know what i'm doing and um lots of uh doubt and uh but at the same time like just almost surprised i guess that like when i'm listening back i'm like holy crap i did that like i, I it a lot of things rolled into one, but you know, I'm just extremely pumped for people a to see the film. Cause it's, it's really good. Um, and also to, to hear what I was able to do. And it was, it was awesome because the, the director's, uh, a, uh, a composer as well. So it was great for us to actually be able to talk on a musical level. And there was a, there were two pieces that he, before we even 
started working together he's like i want these to like be in the film so he has a couple things in there as well um so it's uh yeah it's really really cool i I don't know exactly when it's coming out but we're actually releasing a teaser trailer i think on like thursday or something so i don't know when this is posting but somebody may be able to already see it at that point yeah um so something i kind of had wondered i mean I know how isolating it can be to, to work on something like that. As well. Oh, good <laughs> lord, yes. Uh, I didn't know either until I did it, but yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, just in general, I think I think that's the thing is I've kind of have had more creative people in my life over the years and seeing, like, you know, people who are passionate about film and seeing what goes into putting together a film from the financing side of things to distribution and all that kind of stuff to, like I said, having friends who are in the industry and kind of having similar similarities as far as, like, well, you got to get this person who's going to fund your album or fund your movie, then you got to worry about distribution and then, yeah. you know, your marketing plan and all that kind of stuff and just all these things that, you know, tack onto a bottom line at the yeah. end of the day that I don't think people realize is even, like, jobs that are even there. Um, but I don't. I think people probably don't understand how. You know, actually, it was in watching Forgetting Sarah Marshall when what's his face had to uh, score his now ex girlfriend's yeah. show. Yeah. And just thinking about like you know, ever since seeing that, it's kind of ruined watching like SVU or any of those kind of shows. Like where I'm like, some dude has done 21 years of this show, presumably. Yes. And just thinking about like, how do you come up with a new theme for walking down a hallway or setting a tense moment or something like yeah. that that you haven't done? Well, you, what what I feel comfortable in though is like since I've been doing this for a bit like i've connected with some other composers and directors and just people in that creative space in general and every single one of them has said that they feel the same thing during a a a project whether it's a director a composer or whatever they're like i feel like i'm a fraud like and it's not even a joke like there there's times when like i'll be sitting in my studio and i'm just like i don't know what to do and this director thinks I know what to do. And there's these people that come to see our shows that see me play. And they're like, oh, that guy knows what he's doing. And, like, I'm sitting there just be like, I don't know what I'm doing. And, like, I'll, I'll have – there's people that I've talked to that I, like, respect. Like, amazing artists, amazing directors, amazing musicians. And they're like, I just feel like a fraud. I feel like everybody's going to find out that I don't actually know what I'm doing. And it sounds like you're saying it as, like, a false – humility thing but it's actually a real thing and like you feel like everything you're doing is garbage and my wife actually pointed it out to me she was like um you know it seems like when you get about three quarters of the way through whatever you're working on you just I, i'll come to her and i'll be like i don't even know if this is good anymore like i'm 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 just hearing this over and over and it might be complete garbage and what the thing for me that um solidified it was i was reading an interview with tom york and he was talking about um, because he was he scored um, uh, Suspiria, yeah. and they were asking him if because uh, Johnny Greenwood at that point had already scored a, a couple films, and obviously he's one of the most genius people on the planet, as is Tom York musically. And um, he was saying that there were nights when he would get done working on Suspiria stuff, and he, it was the exact same thing. He was just like, I don't know if this is good, blah blah blah, and he would literally call Johnny Greenwood and be like yo, were you dealing with this too? And Johnny Greenwood was like, yep. And was like giving him all these like different pieces of advice. And, you know, it's, I don't know. I've always, I I even more know more so now that like, if a movie gets completed, period, that is a, 
that is a huge accomplishment. Like on any movie you see, no matter how big or how small, when you if you see a finished film, even if it's the most god awful thing you've ever seen, like somebody put everything that they had into it. It's know? so funny you say that. I had that conversation when I had the uh, crowbar dude stay with me one night, and we woke up the next morning, and uh, Chris was actually tattooing my neck. And so we threw on a random movie. It's called uh, Blood Sand, I think. It's like oh, is that the one where the, the, the guy has his face in the sand and it's the, the sand eats people, yeah, right? Yeah, yes. yeah. Okay, yeah. All right, so like it was on, and it's like 10 o'clock in the morning, and it's yeah. on. And so I can't hear. I can only hear because I have my face facing the other way from the TV. But like it engrossed everybody. Like we watched the whole movie, and everyone's yeah. like, this is so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and at the very end of it, I go, you know what, though? I was like, I feel like you guys out of anybody should appreciate this. I go, because someone had this idea. They wrote this script, shopped yep. it to someone who was like, I'm going to give you money to make that. They Millions. employed people yeah. to act in this movie. They not only were able to finish it, but get distribution to where now it is. We're watching it on Showtime. Yep. And I was like... Look at all of those accomplishments along the way, and like I was like, isn't it isn't it easier to just be like, you know what, I I may not like it, and it's not a cinematic masterpiece, but it exists, and it came from someone who had to make all of these things happen, and and yes. that is an accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah, and those films I think in particular are interesting because the guy who wrote that, the guy who directed that, I don't know them personally, but. They knew what they were doing. Like, they knew that this is the most ridiculous thing ever. And the actors that are doing it, they knew what was up. And I guarantee that when they were making it, they were hoping that there would be a group of dudes sitting in their house watching this on Showtime just laughing at how absurd this thing is. But that doesn't negate the amount of work that went into it. And, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, even just being involved in this business as little as i am i now have a newfound like respect for just you know any any film that gets made you know so something as you were talking that i, I kind of thought of and, and didn't actually have it written down is what is the difference between scoring a film that's trying to make people feel a, a certain way like you you're dictating how people feel versus writing music that makes you feel a certain way and seeing how it reacts to others it's uh, completely different, and I, in my experience, a lot harder, and I think that any musician would probably agree with that because when I'm writing stuff for Under Oath or for any other project, like if it's just a musical thing that I want to do, I'm sitting down and I'm thinking, okay, like what do I feel like writing? Like, Do I want it to be a synth thing? Do I want it to be a string thing? Do I want just to start with a drum beat, like whatever it is. And I can just experiment and mess around. And then if something comes out and I like it, it's like, okay, cool. That's a success. But when you're working on a film, it's the exact opposite where it's like, you're, you have a scene. So I wouldn't call it sterile. Uh, but what I would say is it's it in a way it, it is, Being a creative person, I think that having limitations is a good thing. Like, I think that there's time and time again a example where an artist has unlimited resources and unlimited time, and then they just are not able to get a thing done. What I love about working, uh, doing film scoring is the director will say either it has to feel this way or it. I don't want... 
I only want these instruments. Like like the film that I, I just got done with, it takes place in the 20s, so there was nothing electronic, nothing, uh, like a whole, a whole... Uh, no, no, it's all like like uh, strings, woodwinds, oh, brass, okay, headed instruments. Um, but but I couldn't do um, you know obviously it couldn't do any synth, couldn't do any you know, and and that's a big part of my wheelhouse is like do all electronic stuff. So you know the fact that I was limited in that way uh, actually helped because it it, it uh, narrowed down my choices of what to do. So I'm like, okay, well this part I have to write a string arrangement. So rather than spending three hours trying to figure out what I want this drum kit to sound like it's more so like okay I have these seven instruments and I now need to make something out of it so I, I you know it on one hand it's harder but on another hand it you know I think it opens up uh, for me more doors for creativity but also uh, can be can be a little frustrating because I'll, I'll be sometimes I'll be writing something and I'm like this isn't like if I were to sit down and write something just for fun, this wouldn't be what I'm writing. But when I listen back, I'm like, damn, like that's really cool. And I wouldn't have had that really that that really cool output and that really cool song if it weren't for me needing to write for this certain thing. You know, I I uh, and I think it, a lot of that kind of goes back to work ethic, too. Like I I, uh, I was telling somebody the other day that I um, was uh, reading this interview with Woody Allen and, you know, he you know, whatever you think about him or his movies, like he, he just has an insane amount of content. Like he is all, he's always writing. He's always directing. He's got like a movie a year that comes out or something, which is crazy. Um, but what he was saying is he, he sets, uh, hours that he's going to write. And he said that he basically will sit down and he'll say, I need to write for four hours a day. And he'll throw out like 80% of whatever it is that he writes. And he's one of the most prolific film writers of our time. And only 20% of what he does, he says, is keepable. But he would never have gotten that 20% if he was waiting to be inspired, you know. So, you know, I I kind of changed my uh, view on working to mimic that after I heard that because it, it that made a lot of sense to me. What was something about the process in scoring the film that surprised you the most uh maybe that i could do it like (laughs) um i i I think that uh as far as things that surprised me like yeah that like now sitting back and listening to it like even still i'm just like wow like that's cool like i didn't i would not have thought you know two years ago that if i heard that i'd be like oh that's the thing that i did um you know i think that the uh, the amount of time and the amount of work wasn't really a, a surprise. Like I knew what I was getting into, but you know, it was still, it was still a lot. Um, you know, also over this whole time that I've been doing film stuff, one of the things that I've enjoyed the most, and I guess has been a bit of a surprise has been just the relationships that I've been able to get with the directors I've been working with because I, it, I'm, I kind of thrive in a, uh, collaborative environment in that way like I'm not the kind of guy where it's like tell me what you want and then I'll go to my studio for a week and I'll call you next week like I'm very much like um, hey here's like this progress that I made on this thing what do you think on it uh, you know let's let's have a Skype let's talk about what works what doesn't so um, overall just you know those relationships and like you know many many hours of late night Skype sessions and talking on the phone and just 
talking about film and life and all that, you know, there's, you know, I have friends now that I didn't have two years ago just through doing this. So that's been really cool. Um, kind of shifting again, you know, something we've kind of touched on on the podcast quite a bit, just because, you know, of my age, I remember album cycles lasting longer, so on and so forth. Like, I think it's weird that, you know, we get half a record now before it even comes out, as opposed to being like, here's your one single and the record comes out in four months. Yeah. Hope you like it. All that said, you know, Erase Me's been out for a little over a year now, I believe. Mm -hmm. You're just getting, I can't remember if you just put out or not, the deluxe edition of mm -hmm. the album, which, yeah. you know, that's a thing from that I remember from my early 20s of, like, the tie-over thing, where usually either comes with a making of DVD yeah. or has an extra song or three that ties people over in between the next record. Mm -hmm. So all of that aside, has there already been workings of maybe wanting to start writing something else, or do you guys still feel... Because another thing we do on this podcast yes. is okay. Another thing we do on the podcast is talking about the length of a record. Now, do people just constantly want singles and EPs, or do people want albums? And I, I think it depends on who you ask. Um, if you were to, it seems like from a band perspective, every band person I've asked, you know, I think I think Brandon from Atreyu kind of had it the best because of. Atreyu is a more traditional band. They they are on a label. They do things more the traditional way. Then he's got Hell or High Water, which kind of scratches another creative itch of, yeah, we're on a label, but we kind of can do things as we want. Then he's got American Gentleman, where he can do whatever the fuck he wants, when he wants. If he wants to drop a single, can, whenever. And so I think he's kind of got the most advantageous perspective on everything on this question, being that he's like, I wish we could put out singles all the time because I do think we are in a culture that only wants singles and, and then we forget about it the next day. But I think as a musician who likes making records, what we should do is write a full record and then just drop it as many EPs or whatever because it's going to come from that same writing thing, so it's going to sound the same. Yeah. But it also allows you, if in the interim of any of that, you write something that kind of is different or new or is what you're excited about, you can also release that relatively quickly. And it does from a label perspective what they would want from you which is so much content you know on an album a year or whatever yeah um if it were up to me we would release material in three to four song eps at a time um there are a lot of moving parts in the industry that would disagree with that you know i think namely um, uh, retail, uh, yeah, uh, radio is a, is a, is a big thing. Like our, cause our thing with our, our label, they've honestly killed it on this record cycle. They've done such a good job. Um, but we, we had, we'd had that discussion with them and we're like, look, like, what if we just like put out like three songs and, you know, but then there, they, there's all this stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Like, well, if you do that, then the chance of, you know, any of these songs going to radio like goes down the tubes and all this stuff and their their whole thing was you write the record you want to write and if we're able to uh you know do something at radio with it we will if we can't then um you know you you still have the record that you want and uh the, i guess the record that we gave them was the one that they were hoping to get so um they were happy with that so they've been doing a lot of stuff as far as that goes um but the long short of it is there are a lot of people who are higher up in the chain of uh, command when it comes to releasing uh, distribution, all that stuff that 
say that uh, an album is is the way to go. I I love an album uh, format. You know, like I, I love just sitting down and listening to an album. But I but I also think that probably eighty five percent of people don't get past the sixth song on an album. Period. Um, especially now. Um, and like uh, there's a this uh, group I like they're called Sucre um, and they're doing this thing where they uh, they release they're releasing writing and releasing one song a month so basically like they'll work on a song for three and a half weeks writing it and then they will mix it release it at the end of the month and then the next day they start writing another song and like I think that's cool um, but being in a band it's different I guess you know right. I see the the future of all of that stuff being EPs singles that sort of thing um, I mean is that the concept of an album isn't even really that old you know like no. it, it that it didn't used to be that way it used to be all singles all like well then you get the greatest hits uh, or a compilation yeah. or whatever and then in turn more singles yeah because I mean you look at like back in like the 50s and 60s like there that that it was it was only singles but then like you know 70s rolled around and the concept of the album came out and you know like i said we all love the the, the format of an album and being able to like have a complete thought and uh you know to be able to take people on that on that journey um i just don't i don't know if that's the best uh i, I guess this if you're looking at this as like a a uh business or a basically if you just want as many people to listen to as many of your songs as possible i don't know if an album is the way to do that but there are a lot of people that would disagree with me so i like eps a lot um you know especially like i like what nine inch nails has done recently um you know because every ep is you know if we're just speaking about them it's it seems to be a complete thought it's like i like this ep i don't like this one as much but there's one coming out in a month and a half maybe i'll like that one more where it's like if they put out something that i don't really dig it's not another two years before i get something new you know i think i think crosses is one of the few that has done it the way i i wish more people would mm-hmm. where they put out those three eps and then basically when they announced and dropped the third it was hey we're starting to sumerian when this third one drops the record's coming out which is what all the collection of the previous two EPs, and now the third one is going to be, but the track listing is completely different. So now instead of having the EP experience of how we've curated that, now we're giving you a completely, we're giving you the music as we intended it to be, uh-huh. and it has a completely different experience. Yeah. So therefore, if you've been along on the trip, now you get to experience this collection of songs in a completely different way. Yeah. And to some, it may to have be a, honest, I had no idea that they even did that, but that's really cool. And they released the the vinyl that way too. So it's like that's you cool. like three different colored vinyl, and then. By the time the third, you get the whole package of the, the actual That's record. That's really cool. It's a good idea. That is a really good idea. I haven't seen many do that. I want to copy that. That's great. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I think I cut you off. I think you did say you guys were starting to work on some new stuff. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're 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 always uh, we're always writing. You know, you know, it's just that's just kind of who we are. Um, but uh, over recent months, we've we've been more intentional about like you know what is this what, what what is our music going to be going forward and you know i think it this time is always a really uh interesting time for us because like going into every record we're we're always like we have no clue what this record's going to sound like you know and um uh it's it's funny because like I've, I've written a 
a few things and sent them sent them to the guys but so far like most of the stuff that i'm writing is like super like sad bastard emotional music or like really odd like avant-garde type stuff so we it's super up in the air right now i i really don't know but um yeah something will happen at some point you know we're 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 big on not doing anything until we're ready but you know the wheels are always turning so it's always good to hear. I mean, I, I don't under like you in doing this. I've talked to a couple of people and they're always like, yep, nope. Well, shut off. We don't, we don't do it until we have to. That's it's like, well, that's us. As soon as we release an album, like, um, when every time we get to the end of a recording process, we are toast, okay. like, at, like extremely done. Like, I don't want to be in a, in a studio for months. Like, um, for erase me, it was probably, probably a solid like three or four months where we were all like just you know done something i don't granted i try not to i try to do a little bit of research but it's more uh just real quickly like is there anything i'm noticing between these interviews and so forth usually print because it's easier faster to read you know i was listening to a podcast with mike d from kill switch uh on a friend's podcast and he was talking about how they had had that record for like two years like it's pretty much been done and it's just been a matter of you know the channels that need to yes. all the avenues and so forth vinyl everything else so that being said obviously like a lot of people were clamoring for for a new album when you started announcing the reunion shows mm-hmm. how long had, had you guys how long had you been sitting on basically what would become a race me before it came out we we weren't uh, we we did the rebirth tour um and even when we started that tour like we didn't even know uh if we were going to be a band after that like that was more so like just us kind of like celebrating those records and playing again and it was in the middle of that tour when we decided like hey like let's talk about what us like continuing to be a band would look like um we didn't even announce that um we were going into the studio like uh that was a big thing like we wanted to go into the studio with like we 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 met with labels we signed with fearless we found matt to produce the record we went in we spent two months doing the record and it wasn't until we were done that we were like okay now we feel comfortable like telling people that there's music coming because we didn't want to have a thing happen where we work on all this music and it's just not jiving because you know we've been away for years yeah and then we didn't want to feel like we were forced to put anything out so we uh yeah we were big on uh kind of keeping everything under wraps for the time being so we didn't sit on it at all like we had ideas like when we came into to the the recording and writing process we had a lot of starts because we had all been off for years so we we were all writing for these other projects or just for our own or whatever so we all just kind of came together and we're like, well, hey, what are the ideas that we have? Like, what do we have starting points? And we had this whole like Dropbox full of ideas. So, um, I mean, technically, I guess we had been sitting on that for a while, but it was not like, oh, we have this new Under Oath material. It was just, here's music. Um, <clears throat> but basically when we got done recording the record, um, like one of the last days we were there, the owner of Fearless flew in and listened to it. And he was like, all right, let's get to work. Like, so yeah it was uh yeah it was cool well uh last question what is the rest of uh, this year hold for you and what uh where can people find you online um 
sorry, coffee. Um, rest of this year, we are finishing up this tour uh, with Corn and Allison Chains, and then we get home from this at the beginning of September, and then we have four days off, and then we go to Australia for th- three or four shows with Amity Affliction, um, and then that is, well, that's technically not it. Cause I was gonna say that's it, but we just we just confirmed. Uh, we're doing something cool in November, but we can't announce it yet. Um, it, it's a short thing. It's for like a week. Um, but we're doing that in November. And then we we might not tour again until we have a new record. Um, there's we're, we're having those discussions right now. So uh, we'll we'll see. But it's it's looking like we might be home for a while. Um, you know, it's, it's as far as I go, you know, I'm, I'm picking up a... Uh, I've got a film I'm in pre-production for right now. Um, this like campy like horror thing. So I'm really. I saw ex- a video game thing you posted. I think yesterday. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I'm hopefully uh, going to be doing some some uh, some more work with them and, um, you know, I got yeah the film I'm picking up and doing some other some other writing stuff here and there. So hopefully I'll uh, I'll stay busy. Um, but as far as Under Oath goes, uh, after, you know, October you might not be seeing us for a little while. Unless we get some, there, there's a couple. There's a couple things that were submitted for that. If we get them, we're gonna be doing it. But. I was gonna say. I think uh, in light of, you know, I was talking with Biggie the other day, or about two weeks ago at this point, and just talking about how every time I die, this year for me as a, as a longtime fan has been just crazy to see. Like, we were one of the four dates they did with Fall Out Boy, which I spent a ticket, like a not a cheap ticket, just to be like, I need to see this band that I've loved for so long play an arena because they're never going to be here. They shouldn't be here. And it's not a diss on them. It's just the reality of the situation. And then a few weeks later, it's like, oh, here's this Mastodon tour that we're playing. Like, And it's like, okay, well, I have to go see that because, again, that's not a band that plays Sheds. Yeah. Like, So I need to go and see that. And just thinking about how long of a life Lotines has had like it's like typically they are a band that is the formulaic you know every like two years here's our album tour for a year and a half start all over again to see them just kind of let this record age like a nice fine wine and just kind of let the opportunities fall where they may has been really interesting and as a longtime fan has been interesting to see this these new opportunities so far into their career and i feel like you kind of a lot of the bands of your era are kind of seemingly doing the same like yeah it dude honestly 2019 for us we did not see coming at all <laughs> like 2018 was great uh record came out it did awesome um had the biggest headlining tour we've ever had um and then as we were rounding the corner into 2019 we were like okay like historically like the year after a record comes out it's going to be slower um not going to be doing as much and then we got a tour offer with Bre- uh, Arena Tour, Breaking Benjamin. We did that. And then we got uh, this offer. Now we're doing this. We got the Amity Affliction thing in Australia that's going to be about the same size. And then I know like there's like three different things that were submitted for in 2020 that are as big as this. And I'm like, dude, like... I'll do this forever. Like, dude, these, I, I love it. Like, we, we've always been that band that says, put, just put us in front of people and we'll 
take care of the rest. Like, just let us play in front of as many people as possible. And, you know, the fact that this record cycle, specifically, like, this year has has been mostly that um, is awesome. And we're loving it. So it's, you know, yeah. I just want to keep playing for ever basically <laughs> well thank you again for giving us so much of your time oh, of course man thanks and, for doing uh, it looking forward to seeing the show tonight and i can't believe you have a freaking wawa tattoo that From is Delaware, so sick god <laughs> they just built one by my house and oh my wait where do you live you i live in florida. florida yeah they're down there now oh yeah they're all over they're taking over i've been really pissed because i went to buffalo for the youtube christmas show last year which i did not get to see uh and thought that they were around and then found out that they're like hours away well they had they do sheets there though right yeah fuck sheets it's it's pretty close it's no well you're you're a purist obviously (laughs) but i was gonna say like uh they're actually making a documentary sheets versus wawa and i submitted my tattoo and the people were like if we uh can we get you like on like it hasn't come to anything but they were like oh when we get like further along in the the i think the crowdfunding part of it they want to like have people submit their stories of why they choose you know whoever and i've always said i think sheets really just has boom boom sauce and that's no one really wants to admit it's a sauce that makes people like one over the other but i think legitimately i think that's what it is see at wawa i'm all about the breakfast burrito i get the the scrambled egg sausage cheese but then i get the hash brown inside and it's i mean it's it's a very fat kid thing to eat but i they, they, it's right down the street from my house now, so oh, I, man. I eat there so, way too much. Yeah, so jealous. Yeah. My wife uh, wore my Wawa hoodie that a friend got me, and she had never been at the time. Mm-hmm. And then we were outside of—I don't even remember what the show. With this kid walks by, he's like, "Yeah, fuck sheets, Wawa. That's what's up." And she just like <laughs> looks at me, and I go, "It's a thing. Like, you're either on one side or you're the other." And I was like, "And people aren't afraid to express their loyalties to either one." I was oh, like, "So when man. you wear that, it comes with a certain responsibility." Dude, team mentality. People take a team for anything. <laughs> Love it. But thank you again, and uh, yeah, like of I course, said, looking forward to the show tonight. Thanks. So that was my conversation with Chris Dudley of Underoath. Uh, huge thanks to Chris for taking so much time with us uh, at that stop in Detroit. Uh, I do want to throw a funny little backstory. So I went from being on a bus that was one of the nicest newer buses I have ever been on, and I thought the All That Remains tour bus I was on was super fancy with the fucking Star Trek doors where you push a button and the doors slide open. This was super nice and uh, had air conditioning in the back, and they had a bunch of fucking buttons and all that kind of stuff. And then, because I had, like, three hours to kill before doors, and I didn't want to leave because I didn't want to potentially have to pay, like, $30 in parking, I sat in my car with a window visor thing in my front window with the AC cranked, eating snacks that I had packed myself because I knew I'd be hungry. And I realized I packed pudding snacks, and I didn't bring a spoon, so I had to, like, go-gird it, basically. And I was oh, like, no. And I was like, man, I uh, am riding a high of being on a nice tour bus to sitting in my car eating pudding with no spoon. So that, that was the, the dichotomy of my life that day. I hear you, dude. I can't, like, I think of so many times where I'll do, you know, an interview with someone. Like, um, like when I was talking to John from Skillet, like, I, I came home, talked to John from Skillet for a half hour, was riding pretty high. That was a fun conversation. And then my boss called me and started yelling at me because I forgot to do like some little minuscule thing on one of the jobs I was on. I was like, man, it's just, I just, wow, back to earth, man. Like, like just right back to earth. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's the funny thing is like, if you've never, I, again, I know I kind of said this in the intro, if you've never done a podcast or you're not a podcaster that does interviews, 
the fact that you go from something so like, oh my god, this is this is nuts. Like I'm sitting down or I'm sitting on a bus talking to so and so. Then this is literally something that a lot of people would pay a shitload of money to do, and we're just getting to do it because we we have the the honor and the privilege of getting to talk to these people consistently. <laughs> And then you just get sucked back down to reality where you're like, yeah, I'm sitting in my fucking car that I still owe like 14000 some odd hundred dollars eating yeah. pudding without a spoon because I forgot one. Like, okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I know how that is. I remember one time I did a really, like, I think it was the first time I ever talked to Zayo on discography discussion. And I was like, and, the, you know, like such a like such an important band to me. And, like, we're done talking, and then I, like, get in the car, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm out of gas. <laughs> and then, so, like, I pull up my bank account, and I'm like, I guess I'm sleeping in the studio tonight. You know, like, right? Uh, I was just like, man, like, I, this is never going to take off. All that aside, you know, something we, we did on the last, uh, the first hundred episodes that I want to do on this one. Um, what are some of your favorite episodes we've done in the last hundred that stand out to you? Uh definitely all the ones where i did the interview by myself absolutely Uh, absolutely yeah yeah you know those were the best uh and i think for a while you know when we were thinking about changing it to dan's untitled podcast i think that was you know a really great idea that got shot down for some reason well that's because you wanted to call it dan's untitled metal podcast and i was like dude that's gonna be dumb as an acronym and you don't want that i don't know i kind of like it anyway (laughs) no i mean some of some of my favorite ones like going way back uh like to whenever i first started uh when I first started here, this prestigious corporation, we well, one of the funniest ones for me was whenever we talked to um, Chuck Billy from Testament, <laughs> which was um, interesting, like because because we didn't actually talk about Testament, uh, and I remember being very like frustrated with that. But then I was like, well, you know, it, it might be okay, and it was, it was funny. He he definitely was very, you know. And then I think it was the exact same day we ended up talking to Jay Gordon from Orgy. And I remember being like, man, I'm like talking to all these people that I can never get on my other podcast. Uh, and I remember because Jay Gordon was taking his kid home, like from <laughs> dance practice or something. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the Eve 6 one I thought was interesting. That was right after we became brutally speaking. And we were just like, I, I know like we're on a metal website, but, you know, it's Eve 6. Yeah. <laughs> That one was a lot of fun. Um, Ryan from Demon Hunter was a good one. Um, Corey, Corey from Norma Jean I liked a lot. Um, you know, one of the biggest ones that I have to throw out there is the Frankie from Amir. Oh, yeah. That like, was huge. I mean, yeah, with as viral as that went, you know. Um, and then, like, literally, I don't know if there was just something in the water that week, but, like, that was, like, I think the same week I talked to Scott from Zayo. I talked to him several times before my other podcast. This is the first time I had him on here, and – um then a, there was the azalea dying should tim lambesis be in a band thing uh, that took off and that was that was kind of my first taste of like just doing an interview with somebody and then like it getting picked up by sites and stuff uh that was uh that was very very new for me but yeah the frankie from Amir one was was great there's also another one that i really like but i can't say anything about it because we haven't posted it yet oh is it the one i think it is uh, yeah it, it's a uh, yeah the dance gavin kind of, dance one uh oh yeah well there's that one but i guess we were not we're just not allowed to post that one are we no um you know what I'm, are we allowed to say that we can't post it i think we're allowed to say that yeah we're allowed to say that i you know what actually in, if i can give my my top ones that kind of stand out to me i think that honestly goes right up there to the top and it's really a fucking shame that we weren't allowed to post that and i'm not going to 
blow up the spot of why we couldn't post it. Uh, I think that is complete horseshit as to why we could not post that episode. Um, but it was, you know, kind of speaking like we were in the beginning of, you know, getting to talk to some of these people that had been on prior and getting to talk to them again. Um, I will say I, I got to talk to Andrew Michael Wells of Idola for me, but he also happens to play in Dance Gavin Dance. And we had a conversation that was so or stupidly organic. Like the fact that like I didn't even I straight up because I I felt like it was so because I felt that it would discredit and devalue the the honest conversation we had. I didn't edit it. I didn't change anything. I didn't take anything out. I just mixed the levels. So when one person was talking, that's all you heard because we were in the bottom of a venue with uh with bands playing. And it was the same day I did that periphery show. So I went from a show I went from an interview that I was really stressed about to one that just happened so organically, but I think was so much more intense and so much more honest and raw and is exactly what I think anyone who does podcasts of this kind hopes and dreams for you know you and i were talking in the intro about you know you do an hour-long conversation and you know 20 15 20 25 minutes in you just hit this this crazy stride where like real shit happens and i'm gonna say that motherfucker was the most raw and honest interview i've ever done where it stuck with me for like two fucking weeks dan and i in the intros and outros mainly the outro got real fucking raw and honest with each other. We were very emotional. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. And the fact that how cathartic and how much help I think that episode, it will do because it will come out eventually. We just unfortunately are not allowed to put it out currently. But Episode I am, 300. Maybe. I honestly think it would be that good to be a milestone episode. I, I think it is. I feel like the statute of limitations would be. They're non-existent. Gone by then. Yeah. No, fuck that. You can put that out whenever, and it'll still be relevant. Yeah. Um, but if we just put it out, it would basically screw him over, which we don't want to do. Absolutely. Um, so that is one of those episodes that I, I really do hope in the next hundred episodes that we do, we can finally put it out. Um, because I am stupidly proud of that episode. Um, I've sent it to a couple of people to check out because I was like, look, like this is kind of not how we normally are on this show. Is it too weird that I should not, I should edit and kind of change the, the intro and outros? And everyone, the hand, the small handful of people that listened to it were like, no, I think this like really needs to go up, and I think it's really good. So I'm hoping soon we can bring that to you. All of that said... I think the craziest things that have come from the last hundred episodes that really just shocked me is seemingly almost every time we talk to Phil from All the Remains, something happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't realize this was in. I, I thought these were pre hundred episode, but when we had, because the, these are episodes that are still getting traction, like that still get like, and I know this doesn't sound like a lot, but like how far away we are removed from them. It's still amazing that you get about 10 to 15 downloads a month or a week about these. Philip H. Anselmo and the Illegals. Oh, yeah, dude, I almost forgot about that one. I, I can't believe that either. Um, two reasons. Can I cut you off? I'm so sorry I cut you Go off. Ahead. Um, Go ahead. N- number one, literally the very first like podcast published it like somebody giving an actual rebuttal to all of the 
accusations that have been thrown at Phil about him being a racist and and all this stuff. And, dude, I came into that interview with my big boy pants on because I historically had never been a fan of Philip H. Anselmo, you know, or Pantera or anything, you know. And I remember, like, telling people, like, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to be interviewing um, a member of Phil's uh, illegals band. And people are like, how are you going to even handle that? Are you just going to let John talk the whole time? Because if you say something, it's going to upset people, you know. And um, I was like, no, I mean, I'm just going to conduct the interview because it's, you know, I mean, it's not like we get paid, but it is my job to conduct the interview. You know what I mean? Like, and so, um, and so that's what we did. And, and, you know, to, to hear that side of the story gave me a different perspective on Phil because he's telling me about Phil, the person see any, any, anybody that ever wanted to get up on a podcast and argue with me about Pantera or argue with me, like it's all speculation. This was the first time somebody that actually knows Phil was like, no dude, seriously, it's not like that. And, and, and whether it is like that or it isn't like that, you know, it's not like I became a massive Pantera fan that day, but I remember actually, um, because they sent us a copy of the illegals record before we did the interview, they're like, check it out. And, uh, I listened to it and I was like, I don't hate this. And you were like, well, yeah, I mean, you're a fan of grind and and death metal and, and that's like what this is. And I was like, yeah, I don't really have a problem with it. And then whenever we started talking about the lyrics uh, and I was like, yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff that he's saying is stuff that I've said, you know, before and, and may, and and I, you know, again, it's not that I walked out of an interview, a massive Philip H. Anselmo fan, but I had a more balanced understanding of what Phil was doing. So like that, that one helped me out as a person. And then it just went, I mean, viral. Yeah. I think the, uh, the other one, and it was like two weeks later, the one that really went to, and we're still getting feedback from this because of what's been happening lately is the Greg from Audiotopsy episode about the Mudvayne. Oh yeah. That was like two weeks later. And it was like, holy shit. Dude, that just recently got shared. Like within the last month. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like it's still on collectively people's minds. Like whenever they bring that up, like we are kind of in that conversation, which is fucking wild. Um, the other one too, you know, that, that was kind of interesting because, and solely because it begot something else that ended up making news, which was totally fucking random, was like the twenty minutes I got with Jason Bolt from Bullet for My Valentine, and then at the very end I was like, dude, so this pitch shifter, like you know, they're doing twenty years of you know pitchshifter dot com, like are you associated with that at all? Like are you guys gonna like doing anything? And he's like, ah, no, I really wish I could do it. Blah 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 blah. And then fucking pitch shifter shared it, which I, I was shocked. That, you know, like, the, a band yeah. that, like, isn't even active and wasn't really using socials shared a conversation where they were mentioned for, like, three minutes to where then I was like, hey, if any of you want to come on the show, open open invite. And then, like, a week later, John and I do an interview where then I'm like, you know, I just out of curiosity of talking about old gear and trying to translate all the old gear into getting ready for these live shows. I was like, oh, and, and unearthing all this old equipment you have, have you found old material? And he's like, yeah, I have a whole record. That like the what was gonna be the next record after you know the last record? Wait, uh? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh shit. And then like I didn't think anyone would give a fuck about that. And then boy, was I wrong. Like so, it's interesting like to see shit like that. How like an interview begets another interview. Yeah, I don't know. This podcast has made a lot of news. Like I'm just I'm scrolling through the last year, and I'm like, that made headlines. That made headlines. That made headlines. Like even something as like innocuous as like. Will Putney being like, yo, there's new end music. That got picked up. Yeah, it did. 
it's so fucking wild to like see how far this show has reached. Like, you know, I'm one of those people who checks my stats, the stats of the podcast all the time. And I'm blown away to see like someone from Japan listens to this. I'm like, do they even understand this? You know, like for as much as we made the joke about the TV Syria, like do, you know, do people understand what we're even saying? Do people even understand the, the interview, the questions I'm asking the person or what they're even responding back to us? Like, it's just a mind fuck to like think about that. And this is something that you and I literally do. We stare at each other like I'm in an off like a spare bedroom that I converted into an office. You're in your basement. Like we just sit here and stare at each other and talk nonsense for like an hour or two and like Yep. And then people hear it and then the news goes viral and then people check out more episodes. Like I, I have have seen people like on Instagram when we share like the Hank from Hell episode that we just put out recently. Uh, someone commented on Instagram. They were like, I really, really love that episode. Like, you were one of the only interviews I've heard with Hank where you straddled the line between being funny and being serious. And as such, you got a really unique interview out of him or a conversation or whatever you want to call it. It just makes me feel so good to know that it's like, for all the things I stress out about, for all the times I'm like, oh my God, does anyone even give a fuck? Like, we're 200 episodes in, and honestly, we don't get shit for feedback. So any little bit I get one way or the other, I'm like, it will dictate how I am. And so it's like, it's one of those things where I'm like, 200 episodes in, are we good? Like, have we figured things out? Like, is this a good format? Is this a good show? Do people even care? Are people just fast forwarding to the interview and only the parts that interest them? Like, like, I don't, maybe I don't know. (laughs) And it's just wild to think about where this show has come in the last hundred episodes. And I mean, like I said, spoiler alerts, we got head from corn coming up. And I could have made that 200, the 200th episode. That would probably be most people's 200th episode. But I feel like there's something special about this interview I did with this chat I did with Chris that this feels like a 200th episode for this podcast, personally. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's perfectly representative and 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 great for it. Because um, even the Brian Head Welch interview, I, which I think is fantastic, and I I've heard it, none of the rest of you have. <laughs> You know, I think I think that is, uh, you know, instead of looking at it as a, oh, Chris from Underos, the best interview we've ever had. I think it's more of a this is what we can kind of expect going forward, and and that that that's what I'm the most excited about to see where we go. Last question before we we plug socials and, and plug everyone else's things, since we've been taking up so much of everyone's time uh, with this episode. Which I mean, granted, it's the 200th episode, so expect us to talk a little bit in reflection upon this, but. Uh, what are you looking forward to in the next hundred? Hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to just more good conversations, and I don't even care necessarily how big the guest is. What well, what I care about more than anything is just the quality of conversation and people just having a podcast that they can expect to hear quality content from, which I think is is kind of generic to say because everybody says that. But like I, I sincerely mean it in that we don't just do this, we we don't do this because we have a quota to fill or time constraints and any of that stuff. It's it's literally just we we literally do this for fun. Absolutely. And and so I I want to continue to have fun, like I have had, and I think uh, I I think if if it grows, it grows, and that's great. But I'll be satisfied still just being on this level if we still are at, at three hundred. I'm gonna crack open this beer. To keep it totally on brand. And what beer is that, John? This is an odd side firefly. I saw this when I was at a store. It is a pale ale fermented with papaya and habaneros. It's a uh, five and a half, eh, about five and three quarter percent alcohol by volume. 
I'm going to go ahead and take my first sip of it. Wow, that's actually really good. The papaya flavor and the uh, habaneros work really well together. Like, gives you that sweet and then a little bit of the heat on the back end. That's really fucking good. Damn, that's really good. With that nice, like, IPA, like, kind of... Uh, I don't does, does it have does it have a spice to it too? Look yeah, good. like the habanero has like the heat at the end. You kind of get like that. Uh, I don't want to say like a, high, a hazy IPA, but like you definitely get that like IPA flavor mixed with like like right now. Like now that I've taken my first sip, I get like the IPA back end flavor that you would get just drinking an IPA with a little bit of that papaya. But like right up front, you get the papaya flavor. Then you get like the sweet heat of the the habanero. And then as you're kind of like the, the secondary back-end flavor is just kind of like the nice hybrid of all the flavors kind of coming together and settling in on your, your palate there. It's really good. I I didn't think this was going to be drinkable, but I I think this is actually a very drinkable beer. Yeah. That's cool. What do you got? i have to try Space Dust. Yeah, you know, go with, the, go with what you know. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm very much on brand tonight. Um, so here's to... A hundred more. We have our year three anniversary coming up in September, October, November. So two more months. We'll be celebrating year three of this podcast as a whole. And I want to thank Dan for coming on and making this a lot more enjoyable than just me staring at a wall doing my own intros and outros. Now you get to stare at me, which, you know, maybe is better, maybe it's worse. Uh, You know, it depends on if you shave or not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all the plugs now. Um, if you would like to keep up with Chris and Under Oath, I, I'm sorry if you've listened this long to, to hear all the plugs, but uh, if you would like to keep up with Under Oath, they are simple enough. Facebook at Under Oath and Twitter and Instagram at Under Oath Band. If you would like to keep up with Chris, you can find him simply enough on Instagram and Twitter at Chris Under Oath. If you would like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can find them at MetalNexus.net. Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, and Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. And Dan will tell you for the hundred and whatever time where he can be found online. Well, I mean, I could be found all over the place, man. You guys have heard me say this. I'm on Facebook, Daniel Terry. Twitter, Discuss Metal Dan. Discography discussion, DiscussMetal.com. I'm in all those places. And if you would like to keep up with everything this podcast, it's simple enough. Bruce Speak Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Head on over to our YouTube channel listen to the podcast that way if you so choose there are videos of us chatting with the people uh in the natural elements whether it be on a tour of bus uh in the back green room of a of a venue or just in general at coffee houses and so forth if you'd like to support us monetarily you can do such at patreon.com slash pod everything would be greatly appreciated we're trying to start reinvesting back into this podcast get better microphones get better things uh maybe even actually get it to where you can start seeing this if you would like to so it's a full-on video podcast over on the youtube channel uh if you would like to support us non-monetarily you can do such by rating reviewing subscribing uh whatever podcatcher you're using to listen to this uh i'm sure there's a feature to do one of those few things helps us out tremendously um let us know how we're doing. Uh, like I said, we don't necessarily ever hear feedback, so we'd like to hear some feedback, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And uh, our longtime sponsor in The Bean Bastard. You can find them at TheBeanBastard.com, Instagram and Facebook at The Bean Bastard. And uh, I've actually been reaching out to Maruso over at The Bean Bastard about maybe doing a brutally speaking blend. I don't know what Ooh. I don't know what that would look like, but it'll be beer flavored coffee. I think they just actually did a collaboration where they did that, but uh, I'm interested to see maybe what that process is like and, and kind of maybe bring you all into it. So uh, if you're listening this far and you like coffee and you have an idea of what our 
coffee should taste like, let us know. Send us an email, brutallyspeaking at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, for the 200th time, I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time.